you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Coming up on Huddle and Flow. I think it just misses the mark if you just saying, hey, look, I, you know, I want you know, someone who looks different. Like you want someone who thinks different, has different, different experiences. And certainly the demographics of an in- individual is, is part of that. But the idea is like you really want to create like a, a group that can provide different perspectives so that you can more um, effectively solve problems. That's why that's why it's so important. But that doesn't happen unless organizations are deliberate, um, certainly developing people. But I think, you know, the larger point is also being systematic about exposing yourself to, 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 to people or ideas that, that are different. That's next on Huddle and Flow. All right, we are here again at the Hold On Flow podcast. I am Steve White with my dude Jim Trotter. Jim, so another another midweek version, another midweek dandy. I think dandy is the right word. I've been looking forward to this one for a minute. You know, um, we're having on Andrew Barry, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, and I'm giving you his short title because he's got a very long one. Um, but just one of the brighter, more steady. Um, individuals that I know, you know, in terms of personnel. So uh, I'm excited to hear his thoughts on a number of different issues, including the Browns, um, you know, being in line for their first playoff uh, appearance in 18 years, as well as um, all of the head coaching and GM vacancies that are out there and, and, and how he can see that playing out this year. So just a lot. He's just such a smart, smart guy. So impressive, Jim. 33 years old, played football at Harvard. Uh, but you think 33, boy, he hasn't had a lot of experience uh, to be an NFL general manager. But, you know, he came up through some strong organization to the Colts, went through the 1-31 and 31 stretch with the Browns. So I'm sure he, he can use that a little bit as a background as to how he's helped build this team and shape this team. Um, but we really look forward mm-hmm. to talking to him because, as we discussed in our last podcast, Jim, the Browns, you know, people mock them. They've been a laughing stock forever. But that fan base, man, that fan base deserves it. They are so real. Um, their schedule now, if Cleveland gets in, I know they're nine and three and they are riding high, but you know, they've got tough games. They've got the Ravens next, they've got the Giants, which no longer is an easy out. The Jets, well, we'll see. And then they end the season with Pittsburgh, and that's gonna be a week 17 game that's gonna matter. Because with yeah, Pittsburgh you know, taking that L and the Chiefs and everything, that's gonna be an interesting finish. Yeah, this week's game to me is is I do look at it as sort of a um, a gauge on just how far the Browns have come this year. Because remember, in week one, they were totally outplayed by the Ravens and did not look good at all. And I think there were many on the outside who said, oh, regardless of the new head coach, regardless of the new GM, it's the same old Browns. And now here we are. They won four in a row. They're nine and three and they're playing the Ravens again. And so I, it's going to be fun for me to see what kind of adjustments they make. And, and again, just how far they've come to show 
that no, these aren't your same old Browns. This is something different. Yeah, look, that game against the Ravens is going to be great because the Ravens did look good against, albeit the Cowboys, was a Tuesday night game. So Baltimore is going to be on a short week. So we'll see if Cleveland can capitalize on that. But, Jim, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and let's bring in Browns general manager, Andrew Barry. All right, Jim, now we're joined by our special guest. We've been trying to get him on for a long time. We're, we're happy with what his team's doing. We're proud of uh, the, the path that he is on and what he's done. Jim, we're now joined by Brown General Manager Andrew Barry. Andrew, welcome to the Huddle and Flow podcast. Steve, Jim, well, uh, appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. Definitely. We, we, Steve was going to list all of your titles, but we figured that might take the entire show. So we just, we went with a GM title, if that's okay. That's, that's, that's more than five, more than five. Yeah. We, we've got all the titles and then we can get into all the degrees he got from Harvard as well as playing football there, you know, as well. I mean, we, we could, we could take it all the way back, but. Hey, listen, I, I, I think, I think everyone's more interested in talking, talking Browns football. So why don't we do that? instead? <laughs> Let's do it. The it. deflection has started. <laughs> well, on that on that note, I mean, and you guys are nine and three. I mean, you're mm-hmm. at a point where we haven't seen this organization for a while, just so far from what you've seen. What has really just clicked for you guys to, you know, string together wins and to to have, you know, some of that continuity and, and just everything to work to get to this point? So, you know, first, to be honest, Steve, I think it's a uh, – it's a testament to the work that our coaches and players have done really since, since the spring, since we started a virtual off season, um, those groups have, have really come together really well over the past few months. Um, you know, our, our guys have really bought into everything that coach Stefanski has taught and preached um, since they had the chance to meet him in, in, in March. Uh, and really they've just worked hard and taken, it sounds cliche, but really uh, taking it week by week in the fall, you know, whether we've encountered adversity, whether we've, won a game, lost a game, um, come in fresh on Monday and, and really just, um, you know, take care of the business approach, approach things uh, in a manner that gives us the best chance to win a game on uh, on Sunday. So it really is just a testament to the hard work that those groups have put in. Um, and we're pleased with where we are, but but certainly far from satisfied. You know, Andrew, what's interesting is that you mentioned Coach Stefanski. You were around the previous time when he interviewed for this job and didn't get it. And I wonder, what did you see in him then and what do you see in him now that led you to believe that he would be a successful head coach? Anyone who had been across him knew that he was a, a talented young coach and, and had just such a, um, a high trajectory, uh, you know, in his future. Uh, and a couple of things really stood out. Number one, very authentic, high integrity and, and, and very authentic. And I think anyone who's going to be in a leadership position, um, you know, I don't think people necessarily follow people because they're always right, but they do follow people who are authentic and real. And that's certainly the case, um, you know, with, with Kevin in terms of how he relates to people, whether it's players, coaches, or staff. And I think the, you know, really the, the second element, uh, he's, he's really, really bright. Just, just very, very intelligent, understands the big picture, understands the responsibilities that fall under a head coach that aren't necessarily just football or just calling plays. Although he's, you know, he's, you know, incredibly um, strong in those areas as well. And I think really the third third area for Kevin is just, I would say just philosophy, just alignment uh, in, in terms of football philosophy, in terms of um, how you would really want a team to look and feel and play um, in today's game. Uh, just very progressive, very forward thinking uh, and adaptable as well. What is that philosophy? Can you speak to it? Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit. Talk a little bit. About it. I think we all realize that uh, a big part of any organization's success uh, is, you know, certainly with the quarterback position and, and creating an environment, whether it's with, um, you know, the players that you bring in or the system that's great for that player or for that position group to be successful over the course of the fall. You know, the other thing that we realize is uh, playing complementary football. So it's not just necessarily about creating an environment where a quarterback can throw the game um, to win. Uh, like they're all, they're all, ha- they're, there does have to be other elements of the team, whether it's um, your defense playing well in, in situations or affecting the other passer, or in our case, um, you know, really having a strong complementary run game in the system that, that, that 
that we run on offense. All of those elements are important as you as you put together your roster and as you put together your team. It's it's so funny, Andrew, because you know all the things you read and hear. It sounds like you just hired him because he's he's he thinks analytically and it goes along the analytical lines like you. And you were just kind of lick, lick, listing off philosophy, culture yeah. builder, you know, things like that. What about the fact that you know so many people just automatically draw that line because you're a guy who comes with an analytical approach, um, and, and some of the players, some of the people who you know you're surrounded with, but you just talk football. There and so many people immediately draw the line because of your your analytics background that the football element is is kind of a sidebar. Yeah, I, you know I think analytics ends up being a, a really just more of like a buzzword, perhaps in our in our sport today. Um, and maybe like the better way to frame it is either an analytical framework or just an appreciation for data. Like you know I won't you know I won't lie and say that that's not. That, that is something that's important, but I think that's important in you know, any decision that you make in life. You want to have good information at your disposal um, to make decisions and certainly having people within our organization, um, not just at the head coaching position that have an appreciation for that. You know, that is something that I do think is important, but I don't know that that's anything that's unique uh, to our organization or um you know, foreign, you know, within, within our industry. I think if you ask, uh, you know, most decision makers within the NFL, they would say, Hey, yeah, if I had information or could have people who appreciate, you know, quality information to, to make good decisions, I think that's something that everyone would sign up for. Andrew, I'm, I'm curious as to you having been with the Browns previously separated by one year in Philadelphia and then coming back. Can you tell me what you learned from your first stint with the Browns, which included that one in 31 stretch, and how that applies to what you are doing now with the Browns. The number one thing, Jim, would be just the value of alignment. And I know that that's something that's been a bit of a buzzword uh, in Cleveland really since probably January or February, but it, it really is so important. And the reality is that for any organization um, or for any team, you know, it's great if you have, you want as many talented individuals as you can um, but it really doesn't do any bit of good if everyone's not necessarily going in the same direction or on the same page in terms of how you're going to operate uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and work together or how you're going to make strategic decisions. So that's, that's, that's probably the biggest lesson from um, really kind of my first, my first stint in Cleveland to um, my time here now, and I feel like that that's something that um, we feel really, really good about uh, organization as we organizationally as we sit here today. You know, on, on that note, Andrew, I mean, it just seemed when you when you guys are going through that run, or what happened even last season, for guys like Jim and I and other folks who were in, in that building, you know, and it, we all said if someone could just get their arms around this, there's talent here. There's there is some structure here if they could just kind of get their arms around it. Would have maybe you guys done to do that, to hold everybody accountable, to to stop people from maybe barking in the media or talking about each other to the media. It's where you guys can go play football and kind of get in the mindset, and like you said, in that alignment that you have right now. Yeah, I think, I, I really think it's a couple of things. I think um, number one, it's really setting kind of a, an organizational standard in terms of what we want to be about. We, we've preached, you know, really since, since we started here that we want to be a, tough, smart, accountable football team. Now that all sounds good, you know, when you say it in a press conference or you, when it, you know, it's words on a page, but until you, um, you know, bring people into the organization or consistently hold people to those ideals or standards, it, it really doesn't mean much. And that's something that we've tried to relentlessly do um, really since, you know, really since the end of January. And I think also the second piece of it is just communication and transparency, um, not being afraid to have, you know, difficult conversations, um, you know, in the, in those critical moments. Uh, and then also just, just really being, being honest, just, just being honest and, 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 and treating people, um, you know, as professionals, as adults and, and, and being able to establish that communication so that you can learn and grow relationally. You know, what's, what's interesting to me, Andrew, is that we're at a point now where everyone is talking about the Browns and, and um, the success that you're having and in some ways, it's almost come full circle from week one. It's interesting that you would be playing the Ravens next, knowing that after week one, how that looked and everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but there was this talk about, is this the same old Browns? 
What did you learn from that week one loss? And what did you see, particularly from your even your head coach, that allowed you to think we're going to be okay? Yeah, I think really from our perspective, we're really just focused on it. Kevin always says this, going 1-0 and in every week. And I think that the narrative in the NFL, it, it really does go on a week-by-week basis where it's really never quite as bad as you think it is, and it's, it's, never, it's also never quite as good as you think it is. Like our, our approach after week one is, hey, we didn't play well. Um, you know, we did the things that we, we said that we were setting out not to do. But at the same time, this isn't the end of the season. This isn't um, anything other than a bad game. And fortunately for us, we had Cincinnati the next week on a, on a short week. So we really didn't have a ton of time to, to dwell on um, what we thought was an uncharacteristic performance, you know, for our players. So, you know, while it wasn't the start that we wanted, um, you know, in our, in our first game as a group, it, you know, we stay pretty even keel to be honest with you, whether it's with, with the highs or lows. And I think you have to be that way because, every team during the NFL season is going to go through their ups and downs. And it's about not being too reactionary to what happens on every Sunday. And and we could just talk for for a couple individual players. I mean, you you mentioned the quarterback and being alignment and getting him going. What about the the growth and the consistency? That's the one thing with Baker that we've seen this year. What about the consistency that he's been able to establish and where do you think that can lead? Yeah, I, I think Baker deserves um, a lot of credit in terms of how he's approached this year. Uh, I don't know that the challenge of, you know, going into a third offensive system, you know, no offseason um, can be appreciated enough uh, ex- externally. That's that's no easy task for any player, let alone uh, a young quarterback. And I think the growth that Baker has shown uh, in terms of his decision making protecting the football and, and ultimately making plays that help us win, win games. I, I think everyone can see his growth really from quarter to quarter to quarter um, over the course of the season. And, and, and he certainly does deserves a lot of credit for the work that he's put in. And also Odell Beckham, how, how is he, uh, how is he recovering? And I've got to follow up on that. Um, when you're finished. Yeah. You know, Odell, we, we were obviously disappointed to see him get, get injured this year. He was disappointed um, was obviously a big part of our offense. Um, he's, he's, he's done a, a real nice job in, in, in rehab so far. Obviously, we still have a long way to go, but he's been working uh, tirelessly at it, and uh, you know, we're, we're optimistic that, that he's going to be healthy and, and be a big contributor for us going forward. Okay, so a big contributor for you going forward. That kind of led to the follow-up is there's all this chatter that, boy, Odell could be playing. You know, He may have played his last game with the Browns. He could be playing somewhere next season is he somebody you want to be part of this turnaround and the success long term yeah steven i i respect the question um you know honestly it's something that i I feel like i've answered you know pretty adequately adequately over probably the past seven or eight months so that at at this point we're we're really focused on his recovery um he's a good player and he makes us better when he's on the field andrew let me ask you this about I, i think steve would agree with this that when it comes to fan bases, none is more zealous than that of the Cleveland Browns. And we have said, you know, even in previous years, if there's one fan base that deserves a winner, it is the Cleveland Browns. And I wonder what you have heard from those fans out there um, as success has started to build here in terms of what they're feeling and how important this is to them and to this particular fan base. Yeah, Jim, I think you hit on something that's really important and central to Northeast Ohio. I, I don't know that you can get a full appreciation. I, I should Maybe I'll speak for myself. I don't know that I got a full appreciation for it until my first few years in, in Cleveland because you hear about it on the outside, and then when you actually live in Cleveland or Northeast Ohio and you see just how passionate the, 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 you know, the, the city of Cleveland is for, for the Browns, you just like, okay, now – I get it. And it's, it's been exciting. You know, it's, it's been exciting as um, we've had some success this season. Um, there's certainly a, a buzz within the fan place. And, and, and you're right, they do deserve it because they're loyal, prideful, passionate. Um, and they've, they've, they've been through a lot, you know, with this team and had unconditional support, even in, um, you know, the organization's lowest moments. So it's, it's incredibly rewarding to, 
um, to have some success this this season and, and see the excitement um, of the city. You know, I, I've made the argument that my biggest disappointment this season has been the fact that the Browns have, there's this resurgence and the fans can't enjoy it in person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, Jim, I, I'm with you. And we're, and we're fortunate that we're able to have limited capacity at home games, but you're right. Um, First energy stadium at full capacity uh, is, is, is pretty special. It's, it's, it's pretty special. Brown's Brown's game with Brown's faithful. It's pretty special. Also, you, you kind of talked about, you know, playing during the pandemic and general mm-hmm. managers across the league and personnel staffs, the challenge, because you guys have had to shut down your building multiple times, um, you know, put players, move players up and down on the roster. How tough is it waking up every morning saying, okay, what are our test results look like and what do we have to do to be able to field 53 on Sunday? No, I'll, I'll be honest, the the feeling I have in the pit of my stomach um, as I'm checking my phone, right, right before I check my phone at 5.15 a.m., it's, it's, that's not necessarily a fun uh, daily routine, and it, it certainly does have its challenges. But to, to be quite honest, I'm more thankful that we're, we're, we're able to play, and I, and I think that would be the sentiment for uh, many executives, players, and coaches um, across the league. It does create some strategic challenges just because um, – you know, in a given week, you're, you're really almost anticipating or expecting some some level of surprise. Uh, but to be honest, I guess it's really no different than dealing with injuries, at least from a roster management standpoint. And that's something that you plan for on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis anyway. So, you, you know, you just have to be ready to pivot. And, you know, we're fortunate that, um, you know, the league and the PA were able to agree on agree on some roster modifications um, this year, whether it's, you know, expanded practice squad, more roster flexibility. And we really utilize our utilize those tools to our advantage. So, uh, you know, it's not something that's that's unique to us. I know every team, every team deals with it. And we just you know, we really just kind of roll with the punches because, you know, you know, our hope and our anticipation is to is to play every game. Um, and it's it's truly a year of next man up. Andrew, uh, that segues into something I want to get into in terms of you being a first-year general manager. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, looking back on it, um, what is it that you know now that you wish you had known coming into this season? Because you you spent a lot of time preparing for this moment, this opportunity. And I don't know that you that anyone can adequately prepare for everything. So yeah. what have you seen now that maybe you wish you had known prior to, to taking I think it's I think it's a I think it's a great question. You know, I think from my perspective, what I what I if I could distill the role, it's problem solving or maybe crisis management, and then football in between the football in between the episodes. So just the number of um, issues that may necessarily not be on field uh, that could be it could be player related, it could be staff related, coaching staff, you, you name it. You know, PR, whatever. Just how broad those those people issues or those big those big problems how often that they 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 pop up that um perhaps have nothing to do with uh a player acquisition or uh, a strategic decision that's that's going to happen on the field on sunday you know how many of those issues cross your plate to to find solutions to and um just being prepared for the bounces i do feel fortunate that i had um you know, bosses and, and particularly, you know, Howie Roseman, you know, Ryan Grigson and, and, and Sashi, who exposed me to a lot of that when I was in, in, in let, you know, when I wasn't in this role, when I was in more, you know, junior. So I felt like I had some visibility, but you really don't get the complete visibility till you're till you actually have to do the job. So let me ask, is, is there a way to prepare for that? You know, I, I think probably the the biggest thing is, I guess the advice I give is, you know, anyone who's an aspired general manager, think through those critical moments or critical decisions. And I think it's easy in our in our day to day, if you're coming up in personnel or contract management or research or, or coaching to just kind of fo- laser focus on what you're doing that day or what's currently on your plate. But taking time to actually think through those scenarios or like, hey, if I were this, if I were the decision maker in this moment, like how would, how would I have handled that situation? I actually think those mental reps are, um, you know, incre- incredibly valuable um, for, for people who are aspiring to, to, to lead organizations. I know you did that. And, and I wonder, do you like write it down as sort of a, in a notebook you can go back to and reflect on later? Yeah. So we, we, 
No, that's, that's a good question, Jim. So we actually have both an organizational, what we call a decision diary, and I have a personal decision diary as well, because you really can, where it may not be the same situation year over year or every five years, you are going to encounter similar circumstances where you're, you can say, ah, I remember when we did you know, this two years ago, I remember when we encountered this in Philadelphia or this in Indianapolis or this during the first time in Cleveland, and this is how it was handled. This was really good. This part probably could have been improved. Here's the decision that we're going to make in this in this circumstance. And I've, I've actually found that to be to be helpful in my first year on the job. Um, and I certainly hope that it will continue to be helpful uh, as I move forward in my career. And you organizationally, do you have a cross training program, so to speak? So because we're seeing this a lot now, four to five hundred companies, other businesses. If you're one department, so let's say you have a scout or somebody, mm -hmm. you know, director of college scouting, and he, he's got general manager aspirations. Do you have a program where he can come into salary cap training or some of the other things so he can be in the building or, or things like that? Because some of the excuses we've heard as to why people haven't gotten general manager looks, well, he's never in the building. He's on the road all the time. Yeah, and yeah. the team has never really bothered to bring him in the building to, to, to groom him that way. Yeah, we do. We actually have uh, a formal professional development program for everyone within football operations. So not even just with our with our personnel group. Um, that's with our with our support staff and our coaches as well. Um, so it's actually like a formal, you know, written plan with um, you know both goals and action items. Because the idea is we do want to be able to develop and groom future leaders in all these in all these spaces. And I think I am I'm probably particularly biased to that approach because I feel like I had a number of bosses and mentors that exposed me exposed me broadly throughout the business, and it's really helped me not only get to where I am today, but but helped me feel a lot more a lot more prepared for the job than if I had just exposure to to you know one specific area. You know, Andrew, I know you're focused on football, but on this podcast, Steve and I we talk a lot about creating a level playing field and opportunities for all. And when you were hired, obviously, as you know, you were only the second black general manager in the NFL today. Um, and I wonder if you felt any sense of pressure isn't the right word, but maybe even responsibility as, as to how things go with you could impact those coming behind you. Was there any of that in, 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 in terms of your, your um, thought process, if you will? I don't know that it entered my thought process much. It's certainly not the pressure element. Definitely understanding the, I guess for lack of a better term, you know, the, the responsibility of it. I don't know that that feeling dictated necessarily dictates any of my dictates any of my actions. Like, I want us to be a strong organization. I want to do everything in my power to, um, you know, to make sure that we do a, a good job as a group because I think that's the right that's the right focus. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also I'm also not naive to um, you know the potential impact that that you know you know having some success in Cleveland can, can have on that front. Yeah, well, looking at you and Chris Greer right now, yep. I, I mean, that, I, well, from I'm, I'm only speaking for myself. That mm -hmm. I think that's so important for to these owners who say, you know, that that, that there aren't folks in the pipeline. I, I hate that phrase; it just drives me nuts about a pipeline and whatnot. Um, but I do think hopefully it can make it easier for them to say or to expand their search and to be more comfortable with saying, I, I can hire someone who doesn't look like me or I'm willing to hire someone who doesn't look like me. Because I think you can speak to this. There are a lot of diverse candidates out there. Yeah. Um, so I guess a couple, a couple of thoughts. You're going you're gonna to have to hear me out on this one, Jim. So a couple of thoughts there. Um, so number one, I, you know, I think you're right. Like, I, I don't I don't love the narrative of like, hey, a, a pipeline of, of diverse candidates doesn't exist. I just I don't find that to actually be true. The second element of that is I'd be curious how most people end up defining diversity, because I think a lot of times the focus is just on demographic diversity. Hey, you know, race, gender. But there's also diversity of experience in terms of life experience or even just professional experience. And then there's cognitive diversity as well, how we problem solve, how we think. And I think really all, all of those are important because I think it just misses the mark if you just saying, hey, look, I, you know, I want you know, someone who looks different. Like you want someone who thinks different, has different, different experiences. And certainly the demographics of an in individual is, is part of that. But the idea is like you really want to create like a, a group that can provide different perspectives so that you can more um, 
effectively solve problems. That's why that's why it's so important. But that doesn't happen unless organizations are deliberate, um, certainly developing people. But I think, you know, the larger point is also being systematic about exposing yourself to to to, to people or ideas that, that are different. I think certainly part of that almost falls on decision makers, whether you're, um, you know, uh, hiring a head coach or a GM or a scout or a coach or a team president or, or you name it. Like we all have to push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. Well, you know, you talk about diversity, also age diversity. You're only 33. You're, you're young. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, it's a lot of folks look at you and say, okay, we want one of those. You know, remember years ago they did it with Thomas Dimitrov. Oh, okay. Here's a personnel guy who's young, who thinks outside of the box. So we want, we want a young guy, but we're, we're entering now into the, into the phase of hiring and firings. And, you know, we already see that there are some vacancies out there. We see the Texans taking steps to bring in Tony Dungy and, yeah. and other people. Do you think now, because there's been so much conversation about it, so much emphasis from 345 Park Avenue to get teams to pay attention to diversity, that we'll actually see action? Because I look at it as almost now if these teams don't look at qualified, I'm going to continue to emphasize that word, diverse candidates, that – they're going to be looked at sideways, but I honestly don't know what anybody can do if they don't hire diverse qualified candidates. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, you know, I don't necessarily have a, you know, I don't necessarily have a crystal ball. I, I think the biggest thing is I'm just hopeful that, you know, proper diligence is done because I think there are a lot of unique and unique qualified and talented, you know, coaches and executives across the sport. Um, and I think just the, the biggest thing is, is making sure to have those touch points and those exposures with, with, with people who wouldn't normally be, let's say, thought of as mainstream. Maybe that's maybe that's the maybe that's the fair thing to say. Um, you know, it's kind of like, hey, let's 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 check back in two months. But I think if the process you know, ends up being sound, you know, I, I, I think the results over over time will be really what um, you know, teams and league hope you know, hope to accomplish on this front. You know, Andrew, I wanted to ask you one thing. I, I heard this from a, a current general manager who was talking about the vacancies that are going to c come open for GM positions. And he said to me that that more so than in any other year, this upcoming offseason is a time where he believed you would want a GM with experience. You would want to hire someone with experience from this standpoint, that you're dealing with so many unknowns that you've never dealt with. Um, some teams didn't, some college teams didn't have a season because of COVID. Others were shortened because of COVID. And therefore your scouting process is going to be different in terms of evaluating players. The salary cap is going to be rolled back because of the lost revenue this year, those sorts of things. And so this person was making the case that because of all those unknowns, you, you want someone who has kind of been through it before. I'm curious as to what your thought process is on that. Do you believe that that's something that, that that's, that makes sense or is that just someone creating a narrative to create more opportunities for those who've already had opportunities? Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that notion. That's not to say that um, previously experienced candidates shouldn't be attractive. I'm not saying that by any means. So I have two, two thoughts there. I think one decision should, should start by being driven by what your, what's the job description for the general manager in your organization? Because you know, no different than, and, and really, or head coach as well. Cause it's like, it's really no different than, all right, if we're going to assign or acquire a tight end, what we ask a tight end to do in our offensive system is, is different than maybe what Kansas city or Pittsburgh or Seattle asked, asked that, asked that player to do. And I don't know that necessarily enough teams start with the actual job description. Okay. Hey, is the general, is the general manager going to run, all football operations or hey is the general manager going to really serve the coach as a personnel director all all of those considerations have to be taken into account because ultimately like that should drive the skill set that you're aiming for you know with the hire in terms of the second part of your question with the idea of experience because there's just so much uncertainty going into this year i could really see that cutting either way yeah you could say hey an experienced candidate who's been in the NFL for, for decades have, has seen a number of different um, cycles, but I also see it. I've also seen it cut the other way where, Hey, if you're super experienced and you're used to a more traditional cycle, like how well do you actually adjust now that this is like 
something so different than really anybody in the anybody in the league has seen. So I don't know that this, you know, one size fits all perspective is really accurate. I should say I don't I definitely don't believe that to be the case, that this one size fits all uh, perspective is, is accurate. Um, I, I really do think it is de- determined by circumstance and, uh, and situation. You know, one of the things that I've I've been a proponent of, and you can tell me if I'm crazy or not, and don't be afraid, because like I say, my wife always tells me I'm crazy. But um, my said, <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I think people, I think you hit on it right there in terms of the vi- the vision. Um, oftentimes, I think owners don't have a clear vision of what what it is they want. They always say we want to win. Well, every team wants to win, but what are the specific characteristic traits that you are looking for. And what I've said is that maybe owners should put together a list before they ever even begin their search and identify all the specific characteristics that they're looking for, whether it's a GM or a head coach, go through the process. And then when it's over, have to go back and check all of those things that they listed and see how many of them they met. And maybe that would help get us to a point where, um, we can better explain why certain decisions are being made or why an organization was successful or wasn't. Does that sound crazy? I I don't think that sounds, I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I mean, I guess I think about in some of the best organizations, you know, within, within business, like if you think about the the hiring practices there, like, I mean, that that's probably not too dissimilar to that. Um, And I think, I think it would be well served in the NFL. And I, I know certainly some teams already do that, do that, um, but I think that that discipline in that structure, um, you know, would serve a lot of groups well, for sure. And your organization, Ooh. what you've done to prepare people for these opportunities, because that was some great stuff. I'm just looking at the time here. We got to kind of move on a little bit. But, you know, I'm looking at some of the things that you've, you know, established the Bill Willis Coaching Fellowship mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the diversity fellowship that the Haslam Group has, has put together. Could you explain, first off, the Bill Willis uh, Coaching Fellowship that Ashton Grant um, was awarded, what that does, and what, why these programs have been established? Because the Browns have, have really been leaders in terms of, um, I guess, leadership diversity among more most of the NFL teams, but why you felt these were needed to really kind of groom people and get them um, get them ready for op- other opportunities. Yeah, I think that's actually an area that the Haslam family doesn't, doesn't get enough external credit for in terms of um, – their really their track record in this area they've 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 been outstanding in terms of the bill willis fellowship in ashton you know we thought that it's important just to be systematic on that front and for the bill willis fellowship we wanted to um basically give a fellowship to a minority coach on the offensive side of the ball as really a pipeline position you know for for our organization because it is something that we think is important ashton was um, an incredibly impressive candidate uh, among among many that we spent time with, uh, and I give you know really Coach Stefanski a, a ton of credit for structuring and organizing the the fellowship, the interview process, and and giving us exposure to a, a lot of quality coaches, um, quality young coaches that that you know I think we all believe will, will really be successful in the league at some point, and, and we're we're thrilled with the work that Ashton has done. Um, you know, working with Stump Mitchell and, and, and our running back group uh, in a QC role and, and think that he has a very, very bright future. And also I'm looking at the uh, the, the Hazard Families Diversity Fellowship thing. And this is great because a lot more businesses are doing these rotational programs where they're they're getting young people out of college and rotating them through marketing and, and different things to see where they best fit. What about the establishment of that in terms of getting business side and, and th- those types of operational people? Yeah, you know, I, I think you know there's so much focus on let's say the the head coach and the general manager position, or at least that's that's where the public focus is. But you know the Haslam's have been great that that's something that's a, both across the football and business side operations because just as we talk about uh, being deliberate and developing people for whether it's you know personnel coaching, you know research, contract management, you you name it positions, it's the it's the same thing on the on the other side. Um, having a, uh, a deliberate thought process about having a diverse set of experiences, thoughts, um, skill sets on that side. And, and that's one of the initiatives that, um, you know, that, we, that we've done here in Cleveland to, to attack that problem. 
And when the last thing, well, one, not the last thing, one thing I want to get to you about, and Jim and I talked about this at the time, there was, you know, after the George Floyd, you know, the summer that we've had, um, an organizational email that you sent out a few days after George Floyd died. I, I you know, you're analytical, you're smart, but it was, it was an incredible stream of consciousness um, where you asked people to, um, whether you're empathetic or sympathetic, let's take some time um, to not ignore the obvious and that this is not business as usual. And you just sent it. I think you challenged the employees in the building to come up with ways to open their eyes and to be part of the solution process. And it really seemed to be a driver because I guess right away you had a lot of people donating money and donating time. Yeah. What about just having the bravery, um, if you want to call it that, to send an email and, and, and like that, to hit send on something like that throughout the building? I, I don't know that I would classify it as, as bravery. I, I just... I firmly believe that there are just some things that are, are bigger than football or maybe bigger than what we do at work. Like there are just, they're just some issues that really transcend our daily professional lives. And I thought, you know, George Floyd's death and many of the, you know, the incidents that we experienced this summer, they really fell into that category. So really from my perspective, it was just more about doing what I thought was right and could, could, could potentially help. Um, I think a lot of people really across the organization had similar feelings or were really wrestling with the events in a similar way, similar manner that, that, that I was. Um, and I'm, I'm just really proud of our organization from, 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 you know, ownership on down in terms of how everybody's really engaged with um, social justice issues to actually have and try and, and, and make an impact um, new within Northeast Ohio. Well, on, on that, you know, one person, you know, as you wrap this up, Andrew, who's who's always held as the beacon is kind of athletic um, social justice movement and, and getting it going with Colin Kaepernick. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, because I was in Atlanta last spring, you were there for the workout. Yeah. And that was, I, I think, I think you were one of the few people who went up to Flowery mm -hmm. Branch and then made the hour long drive down to Clayton County. Um, what about that? Because you, you put in the work that day. I mean, you're with the Eagles that day, but you put in the work. To, to evaluate them, to talk to people about what was going on. What about that? And, you know, is, is there anything we always hear about, is he going to play again? Is he, is he not, I, I don't think he's going to get, you know, an opportunity to play again, but that's just me. But just what about your evaluation? And is there any route to him to get back into the NFL? You know, I think Colin, um, you know, obviously has had an incredible NFL career up to this date. And as good of a player as he's been in the past, you know, his, you know, the stronger mark, despite the fact this is a guy who's, who's been a Pro Bowl quarterback in the past, the stronger mark that he's probably going to make is, is really going to transcend the sport. Um, I remember telling my wife after that after that workout, Steve, that I was actually one of the cooler moments because you, you were there and just seeing the actual impact of him on the community, like like on, on that high school field with people, you know, uh, you know, just there's hundreds of people along yeah. the fence. Like it, it, it was, was, it was yeah. amazing. It was, surreal. it was surreal. Right. Like just on the other side of the fence, running to just get, catch a glimpse of them because of what, you know, what really he's, he sparked, um, you know, in the, in the social justice space. And I, I think that that's something that's pretty cool to be a part of. And, and something that I'll certainly tell my, tell my kids about, um, once they get, you know, once they get old enough to really understand it. Um, but that's something that I'll actually always remember for, for my entire career. All right, Andrew. Well, thank you so much for joining us. The success of the Cleveland Browns, your success. Um, absolutely admirable. And, and Jim and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here with us on the huddle and flow. No, thank you guys for having me. I'm Stefan Diggs, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. And you're listening to huddle and flow. Steve, I had so many more questions I, I, I could have asked Andrew, but I knew we were running short on time. He's just, to me, such an engaging guy because he's so smart. You can tell he thinks through everything. And I just remember in the past when I would talk to him and you would ask him about certain situations, at least for me, he always made me think outside the box or see a situation a little differently than I may have seen it um, when I first you know, contacted him. So... For that, I thank him, and, and um, I think hopefully, you know, you listeners got a lot out of that because um, he's just, he's going to be around for a while. He's one of the good ones.
He's he's so impressive because the first time I met him, uh, it was when he was working with John Dorsey um, with the Cleveland Browns. They just had the Baker Mayfield draft. And they had a really good personnel staff, right? Dorsey, good football decision maker. I mean, he's put a lot of that talent there. They had Alonzo Highsmith then come down and speak. He did a really good job, Dorsey, of showcasing some of the people under him. Then he brought in Andrew Barry to come speak to the media. And so everybody had their different things. You know, Alonzo is just such a football guy and such you know, talk to people, such a great assessor of talent and the, and the men behind the talent. And then Andrew came in with the analytical approach and just like you talked about, a, a great processor and thinks about what he says. I was like, man, I mean, all these guys are so impressive, which kind of leads me to the next discussion. We talked about it some with Andrew is the people in the pipeline. You know, you heard me mention Alonzo Highsmith is, but the people who could be up or should be up for some of the general manager and head coaching vacancies. And Jim, we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, I'd like to start first off with the coaches, but, you know, we've seen some of these teams when it comes to diversity, qualified diverse candidates do some things. Just this week, the Texans, um, the Cal McNair announced they have this committee with Tony Dungy, Jimmy Johnson, Andre Johnson, Rod Graves, Spurs CEO, R.C. Buford. Um, I, I think that's fantastic that they're, they're, they're using, they're getting all these different opinions from guys who succeeded in different ways. What's smart about it is remember initially they said they were going to go the same old route they've gone in the past and use a search firm, which you know how I feel about search firms in, in this instance. So to bring in these men and to say that, you know, they are going to have, you know, or be a part of the process. I think that's great. But I think it all goes back to this, Steve. And it's what Andrew Barry said. It goes back to vision and specific vision. What is it that you're looking for in, in individuals to fill these roles, whether it's head coach or whether it's general manager? So Tony Dungy can tell you whatever. Andre Johnson can tell you whatever. Rod Graves can tell you whatever. But if you as the owner don't have a specific vision in terms of what you believe you need um, in terms of the character traits, the football traits, those sorts of things, I think you're going to be right back in the same situation. You say it all the time. Not every job is a good job. So let's let's factor in ownership. Let's factor in quarterback situation. Let's factor in potential draft status. So <laughs> salary look, cap. Somebody salary can. cap. Right. Yeah. So you look at so right now coaching, we've got three vacancies, coach teams with interims, Atlanta, Detroit, and Houston. Okay, and I'm going to put some that are probably expected to change in there. Jacksonville Jets and the Chargers. So that's six right here. Okay, so let's start off with the quarterback scenarios first. Atlanta, established quarterback with Matt Ryan. Detroit, established quarterback, Matt Stafford. Houston, established young quarterback and Deshaun Watson to sign a new contract. And then the Chargers, who've got the rookie stud, Justin Herbert. When you look at those situations and the quarterback scenarios, if you're one of these head coaching candidates, why should those be appealing or not appealing to you? Well, number one, if you can get a young stud quarterback on a rookie contract, early in a rookie contract, like a Justin Herbert, um, what that does is it gives you more flexibility in terms of building your roster out so that hopefully you can put pieces in place before you have to pay you know, that big salary to that player. So that's what makes that attractive to me. Um, when you talk about guys like Justin Herbert, um, or even if it's, let's say the Jets do have the first pick and they do take Trevor Lawrence. Now you've got what some consider to be a generational talent in the first year of a rookie deal, which gives you, in essence, a minimum of, you know, four years to try and build that roster before you have to pay him the big money. So that's why that's why I think you have to have a plan. Um, you not only have to be able to identify who it is you want and what, what you want in that coach and general manager, but you also have to have a plan going forward about how you are going to build your roster. And as Andrew Berry talked about, you have to have um, cohesion and, and synergy between the, the people on the sideline and the people in the front office of how you're going to build it. Yeah, and then, look, you, you, we talk about the established quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, very good players, but that's kind of win-now mode 
right? You come in, you're getting a kind of a veteran roster. Detroit's got a little bit of ways to, to build the roster to kind of get it to where Atlanta's is in certain spots. And then there's Houston, okay? You've got the stud young quarterback, but you've got no draft picks. You do not have a great cap situation, and you are going to have to lose players um, before you can kind of step up. So you're going to be counting on Deshaun Watson to do a lot um, while you're while you're patching Band-Aids. Now let's look at the Jets in Jacksonville when it comes to draft picks. Okay, they've got they're going to be high picks, probably picking one and two the way things stand right now. They both have draft equity, and they're both are going to have cap space. But these are these are rebuilt. I mean, how attractive are those jobs? Just sticking in that parameter. We're not going to get to ownership yet, but sticking in that window of draft picks and potential, knowing that you're going to get pretty much a clean palette to to, to paint on. No, excluding the ownership issue here, which actually I don't think you can exclude because I think that's right. always at the core of what's going on. But just in terms of looking at it from a football standpoint, those are two attractive situations because of the reasons you outlined. Um, they have cap space. They have draft, draft capital. And at least in terms of the Jets, if you believe you currently have a young um, potential franchise quarterback on the roster, that isn't the case in Jacksonville. So if we're looking at if we're trying to compare them apples to apples, I would say right now the Jets would be more attractive from that standpoint. Okay, now let's bring in the big Venn diagram circle. We'll put sure. everything else in the middle, and then now let's put ownership in there because that, when you talk about not every job is a good job, to me that is the ultimate swing vote. So when you're looking again, coaching vacancies that we that there are right now, we expect Atlanta, Detroit, Houston, the Chargers, Jets, and Jacksonville. Now it's factor in the you know the ownership part. Let's kind of stack them now where these jobs, adding in what you added before, how attractive they should be. Oh, um, number one, I think, and you can call me a homer here because I live in, in Southern California. I covered this team for almost a decade. I think the Chargers situation, should it come open, would be very attractive. Um, a young franchise quarterback, as we talked about on the roster, there is talent on the defensive side of the ball. You have an owner who is willing to spend right now, knowing that he is competing for recognition in that market with the Rams. Um, you have a GM who has shown an ability to find talent, particularly at the top of the draft. Um, I would say to me, the Chargers would be extremely attractive. Jim, um, I'm going to cut you off yes, right, right here because you said something, and I, and I wanted to spell a narrative, and that's that the Chargers are cheap. Yeah, and maybe in looks- the past – but they are they are they have spent money they have they have re-signed their core players to market contracts so you can go ahead and talk about it but I wanted to spell that notion that this is a team that where ownership does not play to win no I've Steve I've been around this organization since um, the mid 90s and I can tell you particularly when it comes to their elite talent they pay those guys I mean I remember back in the day junior Seau was the highest paid defensive player in football. LaDainian Tomlinson, when he signed his contract, became, I believe, one of the highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, They just re-signed Keenan Allen to a big deal. Joey Bosa, they just signed to an extremely large deal. So, no, they pay their their people, um, their players, particularly the elite ones. So, again, that that to me would be a really really attractive job. Uh, And then you have to, I think, the Jets situation is really attractive because of all of the ammunition that you have to work with, you know, again, when you talk about already having a young franchise quarterback on the roster and potentially being able, if you decide you want to go the Trevor Lawrence route, if you have the first pick, being able to move a Sam Darnold and acquire more draft capital, um, having the salary cap space, those sorts of things. To me, that makes it very attractive. But one thing Even I do ownership like, there? Yeah, I think I think you can I think you can manage that. Um, and look, I'm not I'm not minimizing the role of the Johnson family in this, but I'm just saying Joe Douglas is a respected personnel guy. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, if he can get the right coach, you make the right moves. And again, all these are ifs when it comes to personnel, because one thing we know about the draft is that it is not an exact science. So, but I wanted to say this. What makes Jacksonville attractive to me, besides what we've talked about, is also that Shad Khan, the owner, is not known to be a meddler. So if you go in there 
he will allow you, at least based on track record, to implement what it is you want to implement and to try and get it right. And he has been patient with people, sometimes to um, the dismay of the fan base. And so to me, that's attractive because the one thing we see about owners today is that they're not very patient. When you talk about since 2000, on average, seven head coaches being changed per year, that shows you that coaches are, I'm sorry, that owners are not very patient when it comes to this. And, and they almost have this, 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 this fantasy football mentality that, you know, hey, I saw so-and-so go from worst to first in one year, and so we should be able to do it instead of having a plan for the long haul instead of just looking at the short term. Well, a couple of these teams, a couple of these owners you, you talked about are, are in that, and that is with the Jets, and that is in Detroit. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm coaching, you got to take that into account because we know Arthur Blank, solid owner. Houston, they changed ownership with Cal McNair, but they've had success. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going on there. And just real quick, Jim, I want to just run down and get some of the candidates um, who we're going to hear. We all, you know, we hear of Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. In fact, on Wednesday, Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, one of three black head coaches in the NFL, came out and said publicly, if EB isn't a coach soon, something is wrong. So we'll see. Robert Sala, the defensive hey, coordinator. Hey, Brian, I, I got news for you. Something is wrong. And it was wrong before right now. So as much as I respect Brian Flores, I got to correct him on that one. When we go through the last three hiring cycles, and there have been only, what, three black head coaches hired during the last three hiring cycles, something's wrong. So Damn shame. Let me just put that out there. Damn shame. Jim, please please feel free to chime in again as we tell sure. these owners and those using search forms or not. So Robert Sala, the D.C. Uh, for the 49ers, Lebanese. Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Raheem Morris. Again, that situation in Atlanta is going to be very interesting with him, um, depending on who's going to hire general manager. Leslie Frazier, Terrell Austin, Pep Hamilton, Tony Elliott, the play caller down at Clemson. To me, just a handful of names. There are so more diverse candidates you're also going to hear in terms of the white candidates, Titans, O.C. Arthur Smith, Urban Meyer. That name is out there, Jim. Urban Meyer, it's, the former no, Ohio no, State it's head real. coach. Yeah, and I would also throw in that mix Dennis Allen, who's a guy that, that yep. I really like in terms of someone who went through a really tough period in Oakland. I think he learned a lot from that. As you know, we had Demario Davis on, and he talked about conversations he's had with Dennis about what he learned from that situation. And to me, part of growth is being able to look in the mirror and say, what did I do wrong or what could I do better? And Dennis Allen has gone through that self-reflection. We see as the number one ranked defense in New Orleans right now. So I think that he's a guy in terms of just overall candidate should also be um, considered strongly for one of these positions. Yeah, we can hear about Wake Martindale, the D.C. in Baltimore. He's being pushed mm -hmm. organizationally to a lot of teams. And Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, he's he's been out there for a while. You know, you're going to hear some some flyers who may get some interviews. Joe Brady, the O.C. Um, in Carolina, he made to get interviewed so people can see, okay, if not this cycle, we know something about him for the next cycle. But you're Let me throw out a couple of two other names if I could, Steve. Mm -hmm. Just one who has NFL experience um, or been an NFL head coach. Talk about Marvin Lewis, who's down yep. at Arizona State right now. We know he had success in Cincinnati, although not in the postseason, but definitely regular season. And another guy to keep it uh, in terms of the college coaches to keep an eye on is Mel Tucker now at Michigan State. So I would add those two to the list. Having, having a tough go of it up there with Sparty this year, but it's a really weird year in mm -hmm. that conference. Okay, Jim, why don't you talk about some of the personnel guys? Because it looks like we've, we've got four openings as it stands right now when it comes to general managers. Look, I'm, I'm going to give you a long list here. I'm going to do it sort of in alphabetical order so that I'm not I'm not um, showing favoritism, although I do believe for me, first and foremost, you have to look strongly at a guy like Reggie McKenzie, who was a former executive of the year with the Raiders, who took a team, as we talked about, had been a perennial loser, 30 plus million over the cap, no draft picks in the first three rounds until the compensatory rounds and helped make Oakland um, into a playoff team. Let's talk about some of these names. And I'll go down to alphabetical order. Malik Boyd, who's a director of pro scouting in Buffalo, definitely a guy you hear a lot about. Morocco Brown, director of college scouting in Indianapolis. You hear his name um, a lot. Rand Carthen, who is the director of pro personnel with San Francisco. People who know him speak extremely highly of him. You and I both know him. 
analytical, sharp, understands personnel. Um, you've got Lake Dawson, the assistant director of college scouting in Buffalo. Ray Farmer, former GM, who now is a personnel consultant with the Rams. Quentin Harris, a guy you don't hear a lot of, a lot about, but in in the personnel circles, you hear more and more about him. Director of player personnel in Arizona. You mentioned Alonzo Highsmith earlier, who's a personnel executive with Seattle. Um, this is another guy to keep your your eyes on. Brandon Hunt, the um, pro scouting 100%. coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is strong. 100%. Um, that's somebody you want to know. Terry Fontenot, the VP assistant GM pro personnel with New Orleans. You and I both know Sean Payton has recommended him strongly for positions, believes that he is um, ready for uh, to run his own shop. You've got Dwayne Joseph, director of pro scouting with the Raiders. Um, you've got Martin Mayhew, former GM of the Lions, brought in a lot of talent at the top of the draft there um, that helped that team be a playoff team under Jim Caldwell. Uh, he's the VP of player personnel in San Francisco. Vince, Vincent Newsom, senior personnel executive with Baltimore. Ryan Poles is another guy who, young guy, that people are talking about in Kansas City. He's the assistant director of player personnel. Jerry Reese, former two-time Super Bowl winning GM with oh, the yeah, Giants, him. is out there. You know, he's not even with anyone at this moment, which is crazy. Um, and what we're hearing, as you know, Rick Smith, the former GM of Houston, is trying to get back in the game. So he's had some conversations uh, with people in terms of saying that he is interested. Another young guy to keep an eye on, Adrian Wilson, the former star player with the Arizona Cardinals to safety, has done really well within the Cardinal organization as director of pro scouting. And lastly, JoJo Wooden, director of player personnel with the um, Los Angeles Chargers, another guy that people talk about as being someone who is bright, talented, and you want to keep your eye on. So there you go. There is the green book. We'll call it the black book, black and brown book. Yeah, so don't talk to me about a pipeline. Do not say <laughs> there isn't a pipeline. I just gave you how many names? More than a dozen. Well, we'll see how many of them get a call. But I mean, oh, Jimmy, I, I, I forgot Jimmy Ray. I forgot Jimmy, Jimmy Ray. Ray. How could I forget Jimmy yeah. Ray? So yeah, there's another you know, one. That, that whole family, that whole family legacy and knowledge and, and everything that they have right there. And Jim, we know it's, you know, you and I are both starting to get calls now. It's starting to heat up because, you know, what we're talking about are things that we're hearing about um, behind the scenes. And, and there are people who want these opportunities and people are trying to figure out how to maneuver to get these opportunities. Well, the owners are the ones who have to give the opportunities. And again, that's, this is where the accountability is going to come. As I, as I said, we were talking to Andrew Barry. I think the NFL has put teams in a position now as to where if they don't at least interview qualified candidates with sincerity, um, they're going to get looked at a little sideways. By whom? I don't know. By us. Maybe some other people. Maybe some folks would be like, you know, whatever's clever. It's a private industry. They can hire who they want. We know that's the, and that's what the, that's how it should be. But let's not exclude people. Let's not exclude folks. Here's my thing, Steve. I always hear people say to me, "Why can't they just hire the best person?" And you know what my response to that is? I agree with you. <laughs> exactly. Hire the best person. <laughs> But when there are only two black general managers in the NFL, you can't tell me that there aren't others who are qualified for those positions and who could do a good job. And, man, I could start banging on some people right now, but I won't because we, we will run out of time because I'll be here all day. But all I'm saying to you is these folks are out there. They they not only deserve an opportunity, they've earned an opportunity. Yeah. Thank so you. that's the key. So, again, owners – Save your money on these search firms. Just come to the huddle and flow. We got the names for you. We'll save you the money. You can contribute that money to a charity of your choosing. Okay, how's that? But we got the names for you. You know, I know there's this new charity called the Huddle Flow Podcast. There you uh, go. What you got? <laughs> we can help you out. Um, help unfortunately, you. we don't have 501c3 status yet. There, we, team, we, so can't, we, we can't, can't accept that. it. We can't accept it. We can't it. do that. Well, look, Jim, that was fantastic. And we can't thank Andrew Barry enough. We've been trying to get him on for a while. Um, he's done a fantastic job. He's got a bright future. I think he's going to groom a lot of people um, to fill the to fill the, the general manager candidate book, the personnel candidate pipeline, and others. Um, so thank you so much for Andrew Barry for joining us, for talking to you. Um, Jim, take us home. Yeah, folks, thanks again for listening. Um, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you'd like to hear, um, guests you'd like to hear from, so we can give you more 
of what you're funking for. Right on, Jim. And as we get out of here, folks, we're nearing the holiday season. We're seeing the numbers go up with this COVID. Mask up. Don't leave home unless you have to. I know it sucks. It sucks for everybody. But think about those people who are being overwhelmed, working in hospitals, taking care of people some of us know. Think about everybody who is risking their lives every day. So that little bit of pain you think you're feeling, swallow it for now. Mask up so we can have a wonderful holiday season and we can go into 2020 the right way. Short-term so, pain for long-term gain. Long-term gain. I thank, thank you so much, Jim. We can't preach it enough. For our producer, Thomas Warren, my man Jim Trotter, I'm Steve Weitz. We are the Howard Mob, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.